0: We're going to get fiscal on this week's Access Louisville podcast. Seema Shev, who's in charge of the Louisville branch of the St. Louis Fed, is on the show. Stay tuned. Thanks for joining us. My name is David Mann, and joining me today is Seema Shev. And Haley Coffin. Hey there. Access Louisville is a weekly podcast from Louisville Business First. Each week we bring you the latest news, along with plenty of opinions on what's going on here in Louisville, Kentucky. Today we've got Seema on the show. Seema, yeah, appreciate you joining us. Uh, I think it's going to be... Uh, fun to uh, talk a little bit about the uh, Federal Reserve and what it does in Louisville and your role and that sort of thing. And you're kind of new to the role. So um, I guess just to get us started, where where are you from originally and and what's your career background?
1: Excellent question because it's super nonlinear. I'm from Louisville. That part's you know, easy. Um, I'm a first generation American. My dad is of Indian origin. My mom is from Sudan. Uh, they emigrated to the states in '82 and I was born here. Um, mm-hmm. But my educational background, my undergrad degree is in theater, um, at, which is like, what well, you know, why are you working at a reserve bank if your background is in theater? Well, I did get an MBA years later uh, with a focus in finance and entrepreneurship. Um, but a lot of the lifeblood of my career has been around studying and educating people on money and economics. And I find myself in this role, which I've been in in December, where that's
2: a big focus of what I do, trying to share the word about finance and economics. Yeah, yeah. We, we, could, we could have a musical production. Hear me out. A musical <laughs> production that includes money education. Let's think about it. Let's brainstorm about it. <laughs> I mean, if uh, I you want to start that. co-collaborating on lyrics, I am here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll work on it. i'm a I'm a former theater kid myself, so <laughs> um,
0: what a lot of theater kids in journalism, I think. it's just it's a natural crossover. Yes. So. <laughs> yeah, not
2: so many
1: theater kids in finance, but I'll tell you it's also a natural crossover because so much of what's confusing about money is we end up spending so much time in the math portion and not enough time in the storytelling portion, which is what theater is and what mm-hmm. so much of money is about.
0: yeah, that makes so, yeah a that's sense. a good analogy. so.
2: Um, So I guess, continuing this conversation, getting people up to speed. So can you tell us what the Federal Reserve or the St. Louis branch of the Federal Reserve does here in Louisville and what its role here is?
1: Yeah, so I think some people are familiar with the Federal Reserve system. Um, there are 12 branches across the country. Um, each branch serves a different footprint within the country. So we fall into the footprint of St. Louis. Um, we have a branch here in Louisville. Um, and outside of the idea that the Federal Reserve is supposed to do something with inflation and something with unemployment, people don't really have much of an idea. Right. I'm sorry to share a little bit. So, um, yes, the mandate of the Federal Reserve is to keep, you know, our economy stable stable by ensuring that we have a handle on inflation and that unemployment is low. Um, We also do things like make sure that money is moving throughout the country. So you know that if there is a penny shortage in California, those pennies are getting from wherever they are to California. We do things like that. Um, But the other thing that people don't often think about is that in order to make decisions on monetary policy and fiscal policy, we need to have a lot of information. And so a lot of what we do at the Federal Reserve is economic research, sort of like an independent, nonpartisan think tank. Um, And so my role at the Louisville branch is to take the best of that research and bring it to our zone, make sure people know what's going on. They can benefit from that research, but also make sure that those economists that are in St. Louis know what's going on here. Right. Like Mm -hmm. what's going on in Paducah? I don't know. Let's find out. Let me make sure that you're connected to that community, so that as we're making decisions on the national level, our region is well represented.
0: All right. Yeah, you mentioned uh, inflation there. I was uh, I was going to ask you about inflation and, and dealing with that, but then I was told right before the uh, the podcast, you're not necessarily uh, a, a, you know an economist who who is looking at inflation. So I guess just like. I guess what is the role there? I mean, you guys just kind of uh, make sure that, uh, that that data is available for, for the decision makers on that, I guess.
1: Whenever somebody talks to a member of the Fed, they want to know what the future of inflation is good. They want us to have the crystal It's ball. the, it's the right. topic not, this year. You know? <laughs> I am not a PhD economist. There are people way better educated than I to make that to, to answer that question, have that conversation. Um, what I can tell you, though, is that part of what our role is, is to, to make inflation as stable as we can. Um, mm-hmm. the, the target is generally around 2%. We have we are higher than that now. Um, and so I think oftentimes people, when you see a number that is different than you expect it to be, we automatically go to a place of like fire and brimstone, what's going to happen. So I'd, I'd share two things. One, um, that Conversations around inflation, I think, become fear based because people don't really know the mechanics of how inflation impacts them on a daily basis. And this is why I'm so passionate about financial literacy and economic education, because if you don't know much about a thing and then you see it flashed on a headline, you don't know how to relate to it. And so then it becomes difficult to uh, understand what the Fed is doing and how that's going to impact you on a day-to-day basis, how that's going to impact what you feel that's happening in your pocketbook. So that's the, the first piece. Um, and the second piece is, as I talked about, there are 12 reserve banks. Um, there's a thing called the Federal Open Market Committee, FOMC, which involve heads of those banks, where they're voting on monetary policy. So it's not Take, take comfort in that it's not one person making all the decisions, but it's mm-hmm. all of those people backed by economists who are backed by these think tanks of information who are making those decisions. so uh, it's it's a well- run system that you should have confidence in,
0: yeah, that's definitely comforting uh, uh, and I've also, often wondered about that, you know, just kind of how those you know interest rate and decisions are made, you know that yeah you know, so that like like, one comes dude down to the the back one of a person. Room.
1: Where- <laughs> yeah, no, it's not. It's it's um it's a really well run and well researched system. So um take confidence in that.
2: Yeah, and if you just Google, um even though Seema, you said people can see headlines and they're kinda of scary. I was reading up about how the F- how the Fed has been talking about inflation before uh this conversation, and I feel like just Google it. Um it, it'll help you out just a little bit understanding like what they do. <laughs> um, or at least it did for me. Um, and I was fortunate enough, uh, Seema, when you took this role, I was fortunate enough to do an interview with you back, what was that, at the end of January. Um, so I know a little bit about um, your answers to these questions, but let let me just ask you a little bit more directly, um, because I feel like you touched on this, but what what attracted you to this role with the Fed um, from your previous position, and, and what made this um, a good career move for you? Since...
1: I don't know becoming an adult i've always had a very interesting relationship with money mainly that i didn't understand it i uh like i said i'm a first generation american my parents weren't necessarily well versed in the american system of money and monetary policy uh finance investing all of that stuff seemed very foreign to me so um, as i navigated through young adulthood i oftentimes felt like there was this magical rule book on how to money and i just didn't have a copy And then I got to grad school and I got better educated about money and finance and how the world works and how our systems work in the United States. And it became my obsession, not only because the more I learned, the more I wanted to learn, but also I felt like I had an opportunity to take what seemed like really complicated topics and then like interpret them and translate them into English that everybody could understand. So that's been the through line through a lot of my career. I've worked in uh, financial planning. I've worked in financial literacy education. I've worked in wealth management, but the through line to all of that is, and regardless of how much or how little money you have, you want to be able to talk about and understand what's going on with your money. The reason why this role was so attractive to me is because now I have at my fingertips a wealth of research information and tools that are put out by the Federal Reserve to share that same information. So if you're a nerd or you want to learn more, if you go to econlowdown.org, it's this place where we have tons and tons of educational tools when it comes to financial literacy. The fact that I get to be the person that goes and talks about those financial tools and helps more people gain access to the basics of financial literacy. I mean, like, how can I say no to that? It's fantastic.
2: Mm-hmm. I just wrote down that website that you mentioned. Cause I want to go check it out. Um, I'm probably a big invested nerd. Like that's where yeah. I go to like look up terms that I don't understand. <laughs> so love, I love another resource.
1: <laughs> yeah. So what I'll tell you is this too. And if, if there are educators listening to this podcast, Um, One of the other things that can be challenging, particularly when it comes to teaching the basics of financial literacy and economic education, um, is that you sometimes feel like you have to have your own personal mastery before you're able to teach somebody else. So one of the cool things that the Federal Reserve of St. Louis, in particular, our branch, puts out is all of this economic education resource and includes things like lesson plans that are already prepared for you that will plug in on the back end to this systems that you already use. Like if you utilize Coursera, great, you can download this plug and play tool and it already will plug into to the sources that you use to get information to your students anyway. So we're trying to make it as easy as possible for you to share information about these topics. Um, but also just as a normal, per, as, a, as a person who's maybe not even in school anymore, it's been fun to go through and be like, do I actually know all of, the, do I actually know all the different types of inflation? I don't know. Let's go in and quiz myself. So it's kind of fun.
0: Yeah. I feel like the financial field is changing so rapidly, particularly over the last five years. I mean, with the dawn of, um, you know, just different tools that people can use to invest and then, you know, the rise of cryptocurrency. I mean, it seems like if you're not educating yourself, you're going to fall behind. <laughs> and uh, and, you know, so I think that's that definitely speaks to, to what you do there, uh, you know, trying to educate people. But uh, let's see here. W- what's one big thing you really want to accomplish in this role?
1: I have two. Sort of guiding lights, so I'm going to share both, even though you just Go asked for one. It. Yeah. The first that I've talked a lot about is trying to widen access to financial literacy and economic educa- education tools. Anybody that's listened to me so far is like, yes, even though know, we get it. Okay, cool. <laughs> uh, the second thing that I think is really interesting is, um, as we talk about sort of the economy of the United States, our particular region has a unique economic ecosystem. And there are really great things happening in Louisville. There are really great things happening in Bowling Green. It's one of the fastest growing cities in the country. You know, there are innovative things that Paducah is doing to try and attract new young talent. So there are really amazing, uh, useful and important economic drivers in our region that I want to make sure are not only reaching the ears of the economists in St. Louis, but are also getting some national attention. Um, because we all rising tides, all ships that whole thing, right? So, um, it's been really cool to be able to connect, you know the Chamber of Commerce in Evansville, Indiana, with something that's happening at the Chamber of Commerce in Bowling Green and share show how these two cities, which might feel really different to them you know, to anybody who's looking at them, one's in Indiana, one's in Kentucky. Well, they have a lot in common. So how Mm -hmm. do we take what's really special about each city and highlight that, but also how do we learn from each other and create some cross-functionality in the state and in the zone? So those are the things that I'm really working to do.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting you bring up Paducah. Haley, you've been working on uh, uh, some of the things Paducah is doing uh, to attract talent. And I think it's just, you know, I mean, you know, this. Story is Haley, correct me if I'm wrong, but they're basically looking to pay people to, to come to Paducah and live there and, and work in tech uh, jobs. But uh, I think that kind of thing, that that's just fascinating to me that that cities are doing that.
1: It is cool. So I was just in Paducah a couple days ago, which is why it's fresh on my mind, but um, it's also one of the benefits that we have as, as a reserve bank is we have access to, like I said, all these economists and a ton of data, right? So sometimes you don't think about like, well, where is the repository of economic data in the United States? The Fed has a ton of it um, and it's open access. So another cool website, if you go to Fred, F-R-E-D dot uh, St. Louis. Wait, I'm going to get the URL wrong. Fred dot dot org because um, it's a longer URL than I want it to be. Um, but if you go there, it's also a repository of all of the economic data that comes out of the Federal Reserve. Um, not only the St. Louis branch, but all of the reserve banks. And so again, like I was preparing a presentation to go down and talk to Paducah and I was like, I, you know, I wanna know what their demographic numbers are. Well, you can find that if you go to Fred, like you, you, you can download a, sp- a, a chart that shows you how their demographic numbers have changed over time. So that you have this resource Uh, That allows you to comb into the numbers if they're viable and relevant to you, I also think is a really cool thing that the Fed puts out that people probably don't know about unless they're a card.
2: Or a journalist. I mean, I've used Fred data. (laughs) Um, Yeah, (laughs) or a journalist. Yes, um, I think we we all know about it. Um, At at least I've used it in stories before, but um, yeah, definitely a resource for the public if they're just curious about um, you know, what things are like and you know, peer cities or cities that they live in and that kind of thing. Um, and and so going back to the, the topic of financial literacy, um, y- you know, how do you think the Louisville region and maybe Kentucky as a whole, how do you think we compare um, to other regions in terms of financial know-how? Um, do you think that we're on par with, you know, many other cities, many other metro areas and, um, you know, middle America, or are we, you know, lagging behind? What do you think?
1: because we have a ton of data I don't have to think I can know that we're far. okay yeah Um, we lag and there have been some really great initiatives to try and get financial literacy at every high school there have been a lot of you know there are a lot of resources out there um but it's still a challenge for us as a state um which is why again I'm on sort of it's such a passion of mine to try and get more information more tools out there um and to have it become more of a normalized conversational topic because I think oftentimes we don't talk about it. We don't talk about money. Um, we don't talk about the Federal Reserve System. We don't talk about how the banking system operates. Most of us because here's a, here's a funny analogy I'll give you. Um, the only year I ever watched every tournament, every game in the NCAA tournament was the year that I filled out a bracket that I thought could win. I watched everything that year because <laughs> I was invested. I cared. Yeah. I wanted to know. Right. And I feel like if we can get to a point where people realize that our money systems matter to you whether or not you fell out of bracket you're playing the game you're playing yeah. so let's learn how right so <laughs> that's, that's that's how i feel about it in kentucky i think there's still so many of us that feel like um there's no way for us to win or we're just not participating or but if you're if you live here you're part of our economy and you're participating whether you like it or not so let's get you empowered to do to participate fully and know what that
2: means
0: yeah i, I, I love I think, that statement you're playing I'm uh, yeah, I was gonna say
2: you're spot on with the Kentucky analogy or the basketball analogies for Kentucky. I mean, how else are you gonna relate to people? Basketball, yes, for sure here. <laughs> I'll
1: tell you what, and I I was born and raised here, right? And I didn't really get it until the first year fell out of bracket. And I then I was like, Oh, this is what it is? Got it. Okay. Um
0: yeah. You I'm start away. talking about the beige book, they're gonna get uh, pretty you know, they're gonna gloss over, but you mentioned basketball. Okay, first of uh, all,
1: the beige book gets a bad rap because the people I think in their mind think about the beige book coming out of the Fed. It's some it's very it's short.
0: It's the two novel, most boring book. things ever, beige and a book.
1: <laughs> I know. We okay, marketing, <laughs> I got it. I mean we might have been calling it that for the last hundred years, but you have convinced <laughs> me that we'll make it different. we'll make a change.
0: Uh, um uh, I, I, and I kid, I mean it is like I think that level of, you know, economic analysis i think that's intimidating to people uh you know when you when you start talking about uh you know understanding the economy so I, I really love that statement about you you're playing the game whether you want to or not like and that probably applies if you're you know if you're out there spending money you're a part of the economy so it's yep. it's it behooves you to understand it um yep. Well, uh, let me ask you this, and we'll kind of wrap up the show here, but you know, just kind of end it on a personal note. But uh, who is a uh, a mentor of yours, you know, someone you looked up to when you're on your way to this position?
1: Uh, I have so many mentors that I would need a whole podcast to highlight all of them for you. Seema's um, Mentors
2: Podcast. <laughs> mentors
1: Podcast. We'll have an episode every day for the next 10 years. And then finally, um, but what I would say is this, I was actually speaking today um, at, at an event where the topic was women and money. And uh, so much of the conversation centered around the, the the things that we don't have yet or that we're not doing yet, or the parody we don't have yet. Um, And so mentors to me, anybody that's willing to open a door and give you a head, give you a little bit of a shot can become a mentor to you. Um, And mentors can be people, I think oftentimes we think of them as people that have attained something that we hope to have someday. But some of the most important mentorship I've received are from people who um, are asking me questions about how I've gotten where I've gotten. And in asking me those questions, they highlight for me what I had never even thought of as accomplishments of mine you know, like how do you have the confidence to be in a room or how do you, you know, how did you decide that wearing a hot pink suit was okay when everybody else was wearing navy blue? Things that I didn't even think of as revolutionary were. So I would need a whole set of podcasts to tell you about all the mentors that I've had in my life and all those that I look up to. But I would tell you, don't forget that you're being mentored all the time by people that are ahead of you and that people are behind you. Um, and don't, don't forget to value them and tell you, tell them that you appreciate all that they've shared with you. Cause I, I learned a ton that way.
0: Yeah. That's great advice. Well, uh, Haley, anything else to add on that note?
2: No, I think, I think that was an excellent way to end it because I think it would be really hard to narrow down just to one person, um, myself, but we always ask a question like, like that just for fun. Yeah.
1: Like Oprah Winfrey and Dolly Parton are amazing, but also like they haven't directly mentored me in any way. However, you know, I, I feel like I have a, a mentee at the University of Louisville who's a first generation college kid. Um, and every conversation I have with him, I learned something that I wouldn't have known otherwise. How amazing is it to have those connections? So maybe my other piece of advice would be um, open yourself up to conversations with folks that you might not think of as being able to give to you because everybody's perspective will teach you something if you're willing to listen.
0: All right. Well, I will wrap it up there. Before we go, Seema, where can people find you online? Are you on social media or or, or is there a a local Fed channel that you can uh, uh, direct people to?
1: Yeah, you could absolutely follow the Fed if you'd like to on Twitter and on Instagram. We're hip. We're cool. (laughs) We're there. Um, uh, I can't wait to see the Fed's
0: Instagram feed. Yeah, it's
1: pretty cool. Okay. Um, A lot of economic data coming out, but I will also share that um, social media, you know, we might not be posting the most um, exciting content on social media all the time, but we do have really exciting information coming out of the Fed. So we're newsletter people. If you haven't signed up for our newsletters, please do. Um, There are, I talked about Fred, there are blog posts that come out on on Fred's website that get pushed out via the newsletters, um, where if there's an economist that's researching something that's particularly cool or exciting, they publish a blog post about it and translate their research from economist to English so that you can listen to it, understand it, and read it. Uh, So I encourage you to to participate with us in that way as well.
0: Yeah, those are good resources. Uh, Haley, uh, where can people find you on uh, social media? You're you're a big LinkedIn person, I've noticed.
2: Not really. I have a hard time remembering a post on LinkedIn. I, I'm probably more naturally on Twitter um, in my natural state, my natural habitat. Um, B, B.F. Lou Haley on Twitter, but you can add me on LinkedIn um, at just under my name, Haley Cawthon. But yeah, I've had just a couple of posts. Um, I post so infrequently, but I've had a couple of posts that have recently like, took off in terms I of guess that's people what I'm thinking, seeing it in the feed. Yeah,
0: you've... Uh, you've just- Every time I log on to LinkedIn, there's some post that's got a bunch of likes from you. And I'm like, <laughs> so. Hey, I think, like yeah, down, I think she's you're... like,
1: I'm just like super mega viral. But, you know, I mean.
2: And, and usually it's about other people. I, I don't have too many personal posts. I did have a, a recent personal post, but probably my most viral post was on a company called um, Prama that I wrote about um, last week. And I shared that post and it had like over 20,000 impressions in the LinkedIn feed. So, like, I'm not viral. These companies are that I'm writing about. So, uh, heads up if you haven't read that story. It's kind of cool. Yeah, that
0: was a good one. All right. If you can find me on uh, social media, on Twitter under the name dman3001. I'm also on LinkedIn under my real name, David A. Mann. If you like this podcast, you can find it on popular podcast services, including Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, and Radio Public. Thanks very much, Haley. Thank you, SEMA. Thank you guys for listening to us at home, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.